This is a new series, I'm sorry, the new series we're starting today is called Follow, all right? And this series is really all about discipleship. It's all about um, the act of what it, does it mean for us to follow Christ and what does that look like? Because the, the actual charge to us uh, from Jesus was, has been and it will always be, be to follow me. As a matter of fact, this comes from the theme verse. This is our theme verse for the series, Matthew 4, where Jesus is actually speaking one of the times to uh, some, some of the guys who we would know as the disciples later on. He was walking on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, and then read the words out loud, two words, follow me, follow me right? Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, I learned King James, I'll be fishers of men. You guys remember the fishers of men? It sounded more classy that way, but it's okay. This is the NLT. I will show you how to fish for people. I'll change the way in which you think you do things in your life. And they said, okay. So they left their nets at once and they followed him. You'll see this time and time again, over and over, as he called the disciples to follow him, as he called other people to follow him. It's been a, a, a theme in Jesus' life. So this series, we want to talk about what does it look like? What does it actually look like to follow Jesus, especially today? Uh, you know, for you and I today, in our current culture, in our climate, like what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? What's the same? What's different? Uh, and, and kind of where, what's the ask in terms of where we're going? So I decided to share a little illustration with you today. I asked my staff to, uh, to send me some re uh, results about when, what was their cr Christian walk like? What was it like to become a Christian and to learn what it meant to follow Jesus? And so all of my staff, you know, we all, uh, they all, different, different stories. Some were raised in church, some weren't raised in church, you know, that kind of thing. And they all responded, so I kind of collected some of their responses to share with you today about what it looks like. But I also wanted to share a visual of kind of like what we look like as we walk this out. And so I have a very special guest. He's down in the gym uh, at the office today. He's down there. Uh, we're going to feed him in real quick right now, and he's going to show you what it looks like with a treadmill, uh, what it looks like. So let's cue into uh, to Nate here. Hey, Nate, you, you there? Okay, all right, good. So this is Nate Olson. He's going to, uh, Nate, go to the uh, treadmill. And I already kind of told him there's a program in there. You just go ahead and hit start, and you can get started. And we're going to get started as well. And I'm going to share with everybody what we looked like when we're trying to learn how to be a Christian. So let's go to the first slide. So this is kind of a basic list, again, that I asked my staff to help me realize. Now, you'll notice some of this is based off of when they were when they be became a Christian, don't lie and don't steal. That's pretty common for anybody, right? No matter what the age is. Don't lie, don't steal. Don't run in the sanctuary. Okay, that's a little dated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, sir. You don't run in church, Dan says. You don't doodle in the bulletins or pass notes. I don't know how that had anything to do with being a Christian, but apparently that was a very big deal. I was told not to draw in the Bible. That's what I was, you know, that was when I was a kid. Uh, be kind to others. Dress up, you know, your Sunday best. Dress up for services. Don't judge others. You gotta pray. You know, really pray, pray about everything. Nate, go ahead and uh, uh, hit the next program, if you don't mind. Yeah, he, yeah. Go ahead and hit the next program, and then you can. Uh, we'll, we'll keep moving. All right. Yeah, there we go. It takes a second. So read your Bible. Everybody knows you know you gotta read your Bible. You gotta pray. You gotta read your Bible. Uh, one of the things was memorizing all the books of the Bible in order. Nod your head if you ever had to do that, right? Re, you know, memorize the Bible in order. Memorize the books of the Bible. Serve in church, 
right? Invite friends to church. Forgive others, right? Forgive, forgiveness was a huge part of learning to become a Christian. Saying the Lord's Prayer at bedtime, we're doing that with Charlie, right? Saying, learning the Lord's Prayer and saying that at bedtime was a, was a big deal. Now, this was one that I put in, but a couple, a couple other Baptists uh, was in here uh, in our staff. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, and don't what? Yeah, don't date girls who do, right? Because that's, that's a big deal. That was something for me, learning to become a Christian, that was a, a, a big deal, right? And so, but there's always more as you grow in faith. So, Nate, yeah, keep going. There's more to this. So, what, you've got to learn at some point that it's not just praying, but there's also this thing called fasting, so at some point when you grow in your faith, you learn to pray and fast, and you learn to tithe, you learn to give uh, money back to God, the 10% back to God. You begin to help those in need around you or serve outside the church, uh, not just read scripture, but to study scripture. What does that mean and what does that look like? Um, don't have bad and dirty thoughts. That came from one of our staff members, but I, I think it's mostly men, but it's not just men, right? Like it don't, don't have bad or dirty thoughts. That was a part of, you know, growing and learning to become a Christian. Confession of your sins, what does that mean to continually do? Uh, you, you know, to read Christian books and to kind of, you know, grow in sort of that. And then uh, one of our uh, staff people put, you know, you get to learn to respect the pastor and the leaders in the church. That was a big deal, especially if you were raised in church. You had to learn what that meant to respect your leaders and know who your leaders are and, and how that was going to go. Now, uh, let's see, let me go to my next slide. Yeah, this is the next one. Uh, go ahead, Nate. Go ahead and keep going. Um, we talked about this before. Go ahead, yep, keep going. Uh, you know, you learn things like Sabbath and solitude. You learn uh, things like journaling and starting to go on mission trips. And then, and then, listen, you do have to read Christian books, but you can't just read any Christian books. You have to know, like, are they progressive Christians or liberal Christians or charismatic Christians or prosperity gospel Christians? Or, you know, then you got to start leading things. Nate, go ahead and uh, uh, pump it up a little bit more. Uh, you can lead a small group. Yeah, a little bit more. You lead a small group uh, or ministry. Uh, Don told us last week uh, that there's not a list, but there is a list, right? So we got to pay attention to the list and all these things, like am I loving, am I peaceful, am I patient? Those are just the fruit of the Spirit, not even the, the gifts of the Spirit, which sometimes we don't even know what that is. Nate, keep going. Yep, keep going. And then we have, you know, you know, having to learn languages. Like if you start to study the Bible you got to know things like it was written in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek and Jesus spoke Aramaic and there's some Latin inserts in the translations and maybe you start teaching class and uh, go ahead, yeah, keep going. Um, and then you've got like the study of, th study of things. Nate. Nate. Okay. We didn't even get to hermeneutics. Anyway. So there's, there's more, right? There's, there's more. Now i got a confession to make. If you know Nate, he would have never stopped. I made him stop for the illustration this morning. He, he, would, have, he would have probably ran until he was dead. But that's, that's just because that's who Nate is. Um, listen, in all seriousness, like I, 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 when I challenged him to give that visual, I wanted you to see and experience sometimes what we all tend to experience at some point or another that at least it, whether it's our lives or people around us, that what starts off as becoming a Christian or starting to follow Jesus does eventually get more complex. It does seem to, to kind of start weighing a little bit more. There's so much more 
than we probably knew or thought we knew. And, and, it, and it sometimes turns from following Jesus into just trying really hard to be a good Christian or to do the things that a, a good Christian would do. There's nothing wrong with the list that I gave you in terms of growing in your faith. But when they become the focus, when it's something that, that becomes all about our effort to try to accomplish it, it can begin to lose sight and begin to lose focus of what we're actually called to do. So that's why we really felt like this series was timely, because we want to get back to understanding what it means to follow Jesus. Again, some of you guys, I think this may be your story. You may have tapped out. You may be stuck. You may slow down. You may have done whatever. You, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying so hard to get a handle on it. And, and the Bible needs to remind us, and I'll tell you why a little bit more today, but the Bible needs to remind us that not that it's simple, even though it's stated simply, <clears throat> but that so much of this relies on us following Jesus, not on trying to just be or do good Christian things. So let's clear the deck. I want you to kind of put away in your mind everything you've sort of thought about in terms of being a good Christian. What does that mean? What do you got to do? What does it look like? And I want to start with the original ask. What did he actually ask of his disciples? What is he asking of you? What is he asking of us in terms of come and follow me? So I'm going to turn you to, if you have your Bible, it's coming to Matthew 22. I'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, Matthew 22. And this is a, an inter interaction with Jesus in which the Pharisees and the Sadducees are kind of going back and forth with Jesus, trying to trick him, trying to test him, trying to get him to trip up on, on teaching in terms of what they felt like was the most important thing. And so here's where we start uh, in Matthew 22, 34. It says, um, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, this is the story before that in terms of he sort of shut them down, uh, the Pharisees got together and then one of them, who was an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Here's the question. Teacher, they respectfully said, hey, teacher, Rabbi, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Capital L, in the law. Now, when they say this, I just want to let you know, we sometimes skim past this. We take it for granted. Um, but I want to just kind of dive into it just for a minute of understanding what kind of a loaded question this actually was in terms for Jesus. And so um, what they had is there was about 613 Best, so I've seen the arguments for 615, but 613 is the more common, known as the mitzvah. It is the commands of the Mosaic law. It's the commands of God. There were 613, which include the Levitical Cove, which included the law. It included the prophets in terms of statements of the prophets that they made. So there were 613 sort of written, if you say written laws, but then they also Okay? This is the Jewish culture. They also had what was called the Mishnah, which was teaching from other rabbis. Okay? Other rabbis that would teach the law, and maybe they would bring some insight or say something, and, and it would become so elevated, it would become so emphasized, the teaching of the rabbi, that it would be known as the Mishnah. It would be known as another command. So you're talking about something that can infinitely grow, and by the time Jesus was on the scene, had already grown like beyond a thousand in terms of the number of things that they were trying to recognize and see as commands 
of God. So, so it's a, it's a lose-lose for Jesus to try to trip him up and say, hey, which one's the greatest one? You know, will he, choose a, will he choose a rabbi's statement? Will he choose one of his statements? Will he choose the top 10 commandments? What will Jesus choose? And either way, they sort of felt like they had him. So Jesus, of course, responds. And I, I want you to see this. It's not just what he says. It's how he says it and in the context of what he says. Okay, so just think about that. Not just what he says, because he actually reads two written commands, but that's how he says it and in the context, all right? Let's keep going. Jesus actually replied to them, love the Lord your God with, and let's read it out loud together, all the words in yellow, you guys can say it with me, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, and with what? All your soul, and with what? All your mind, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He goes on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment. But then, of course, only Jesus does this. He's like, but the second one's just like it, right? You ask me for one, I'm going to give you two. It's like a double-sided coin. One is no greater than the other. They're about the same. He says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this. This is the context that he says and how he answers it. He says, all the law, all of it, everything that you've been focusing on, all the law and the prophets, hang on these two commandments. What does he say? Not that the, that the law didn't matter. He was saying, you know, your focus on the law, but... These two things, Jesus is almost having to kind of say, when it comes to the tip of the spear, when it comes to the most important thing, the first is this and the second is this, because Jesus is saying that all, everything else, the Mishnah, the, the, the Mitzvah, is like all of this hangs on, and matter of fact, the, the, the word actually means hinges, like a door, like a door swings on a hinge, huge door, and then it's like a little hinge, gets this huge door. All of this hinges on, the, on these two commands. Meaning that, that that's important, but not nearly as important as, to, as what precedes it. Not nearly as important as what, why you need to know why those things matter or how those things are supposed to flow from these two commands. So let's just go look at the two commands. What was so significant about it? So the first one... He just says you're supposed to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And some of the best words we have for that is, is in terms of our understanding, is commitment, devotion. The best word is surrender. But for most of us, we, we think of surrender in a very passive tense. Yet the way in which it comes with God surrendering is a very active word. It's a very active tense. Because to give him all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind is to surrender all of us to him in full devotion and being all in. Now, it's interesting that, that Jesus would say this because he has to remind them that it starts here. This is where it begins. It begins with God. It begins with this full, complete commitment 
and devotion. And it's interesting, when you see actually some examples of when Jesus was actually asking people to follow him, that this kind of thing came up every once in a while, and it was something that Jesus had to address. Why? Because Jesus knows the human nature. He knows that we're fallen, broken people. So Luke actually records three instances in his gospel where he was writing down the story and getting all the eyewitnesses, and who knows if he talked to these people directly or where he heard this story, but he felt like it was conferred and accurate in terms of what was actually happening. And you see, this is in Luke, where Jesus actually has to kind of address this head on. They were walking along, and someone basically said to Jesus, hey, I want to follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. And the, and the inference here, is, in terms of the language, is that you guys are going somewhere. You guys with me? Right? You're going somewhere. I mean, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know if it's going to be set up your kingdom and do all the, all the things that the disciples thought it was to set up the kingdom and defeat Rome and so on and so on. He's like, you're go- I want to go wherever you're going because it sounds awesome. And then Jesus actually has to say, well, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man actually has no place to even lay his head. This guy's excited to follow Jesus because of where he's going or where he thinks he's going. And Jesus has to remind him in that moment, well, foxes have a place to go. Birds have a place to go. But the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay down. And then you see it again. He says, he said to another person, hey, come follow me. And the man agreed, but then he said, Lord, first let me return home to bury my, my father. Very legitimate reason. That's not even an excuse. That's just a, a reason that, I mean, we get our flight money back for that, right? Like we, we would get something, like it's, it's legitimate in our mind. But Jesus responds and says, look, let the dead bury their dead. They're, the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your, your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. At some point, Jesus even here is just saying, yeah, there's a level of priorities that that you don't seem to understand, your, your duty's here. Let the dead bury the dead. There's something more important. And then he goes on to say later again, another one said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. <laughs> again, very reasonable request. But Jesus told him, look, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I'll be the first to admit with you, it seems awfully strange that it, that it seems like, at least from our perspective, it sure does seem like people were wanting to follow Jesus and Jesus was trying to talk them out of it. Nod your head if you're, if you're with me, right? Like that was weird, but very much like the, like the rich young ruler when Jesus said, I want you to sell all your possessions. And he's like, he knew exactly what to say to each one of these people. He knew exactly where their hearts were. He knew exactly what they were asking. He knew exactly what they were dealing with and and responded to them, responded to their issue, right? It's not because he doesn't care your parents died or somebody died in your family. Jesus isn't heartless. But he understood there was a priority problem with that one. He understood the other person. He gave the example like Lot's wife, like don't look back. There, there's work to be done. You can't look back. There's no, there's no looking back on this journey. I know you think where we're going is awesome, but I'm telling you, there's, there's no place to lay your head where I'm going. And, and it seems like he's kind of emphasizing it, but I think the reason he's doing it is because Jesus knew that in terms of just us being 
men and women and frail, broken world. He, he knew that we would need to be reminded often of, of what this full commitment and what this full devotion really requires of us. Because we, when you begin to follow Christ, or let's just say church, let's just call it the, the cultural Christianity, when you're in church long enough, and I'm not accusing anyone of this that's in the room today. You guys are all rock stars, okay? I'm talking about other people. It's always good to talk about other people, right? But, but sometimes, you know what? You can know just enough scripture. You can know just enough church, you know, Christianese. You can know just enough Bible stuff that you can look like you're in, but you're really just phoning it in. Everybody with me? You can look like you're in, but you're not really in. You're not committed. There's no commitment or devotion on your end. Like, it's just enough to sort of phone it in because you like the benefits of this or that. And then there's some that I call, I call it the Christian side hustle, right? Because, you, you know, you really are attempting to grow in your faith. You're wanting to do again, do all the things and to be all the things a good Christian needs to be, but, but you're still living your life on your terms, and still kind of hustling in the midnight, you know, burning the midnight oil, hustling on the side to try to make Jesus happy and to do all the good Christian things you're supposed to be doing. But you won't let go of your control over your life. So I call it the side hustle. And so depending on where you fall into this, it's just always good to go back and remind you that our following of God, our follow of Him, starts with just our devotion and commitment to him. It starts there. And we have to be reminded of it because too often we will settle, we will settle to kind of put the treadmill on a certain speed that we think we can manage and handle and try to live in this world and live for the kingdom and they don't work. They're, 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 they're opposites. The whole, you know, again, we talked about this in the last series. The Holy Spirit wants what the flesh doesn't want. The flesh wants what the Holy Spirit wants, doesn't want. It's like it, it's going to constantly be a battle. So the reminder is, yeah, but it just starts with your own devotion and commitment. If you don't want to follow Jesus, don't. Like, don't. Stop, stop trying to halfway do it, phone it in, or do your side hustle. Like, don't. I get a little upset sometimes with the deconversion stories and things you read online of people who, well, they needed all these excuses and justifications to, to kind of leave the faith. And I'm just like, dude, whatever. Like, if you don't want to follow God anymore, then don't follow him. You're choosing death. I know that. You're choosing death, not life. You're choosing a dead end road. But if that's your choice, just make your choice. Don't give a bunch of crap and excuses and take people down with you. Like, just be honest. And I've had, I mean, you know, and I know it sounds like, it sounds really bad when I talk about my conversations with people because it sounds like I'm compassionless and just jump right to the point of things. It's not true. It's a little bit true, but it's not fully true. <laughs> but I've had plenty of conversations with people that, look, they're, they're trying to figure it out, but they're just not fully in. And I've had conversations where I've just had to look at somebody, look, at the end of the day, just choose. I mean, I don't say it flippantly like it doesn't matter, but I say it to the point of, God's not going to make you do anything. You have to choose to follow him. So either choose it or go. Why in the world would you 
waste time in this futile effort when it's not bringing you the, 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 you know, the, the success, it's not bringing you the life that you believe you're supposed to have. If you think you can control it, chase it down and try to get it. I know and trust that God has a hold of your heart. I know and trust that he will bring you back like the prodigal son. So sometimes you just have to be honest and say, I, I'm not committed. And I'm not saying, don't hear me say that's fine. Just hear me say, be honest about it. Stop phoning it in. Stop trying to make this a side hustle. It's the reason you're wore out. It's the reason you're stuck. It's the reason you're not growing. Because you forgot that it starts with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. It starts there. Like, the stuff you're trying to do doesn't even matter if it doesn't start there. And then he goes on to talk about how we love one another. And if, that's, if, if, the, if the commitment level is already a tough thing for somebody, like the second, to love others as yourself, to, to, to love others with God's love, okay? <laughs> with God's love, not our cheap knockoff of love, with God's love to our neighbors, who he clearly defines who our neighbor actually is. This is, listen, to be honest, this is one of the reasons that um, we think it's harder to follow Jesus today than it was 50 years ago, 75 years ago. This is one of the reasons, okay? Because we, you know, our culture, our world, I mean, our current divided culture has made it actually allowable and justifiable for you to hate someone else who doesn't agree with you, who doesn't, you know, doesn't line up with you, doesn't affirm you. Like, like, like our culture has said, it's okay, you can hate them to their very soul. And, and, and it's seeping into the church, guys. It's seeping into Christians. And at no point was that ever okay. At no point was that ever going to be justified. You know, Jesus told us very clearly, you can't curse someone and love someone with the same tongue. Like, you can't do it. Can't curse one and love another with the same mouth and be in step with the Spirit and be following God. Can't do it. He said, that's not how this works. But we think, we just think that it was easier back then, right? It was easier back then. And I'm like, dude, that's, it wasn't easier. Do you guys remember the Good Samaritan story? Like, this is Jesus explaining who the neighbor was. Because it's a different passage. This is in Luke. And this is where the, you know, the way Luke records it, this is another situation where you know, the, the Pharisee had already heard Jesus answer the question, so he set Jesus up like, oh, we're supposed to love the Lord our God, and blah, 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 blah. And he said, okay, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because they thought they had that figured out, right? Jews, Jews viewed Jews, other Jews, as their neighbor, and that they were only supposed to love their, their Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, they didn't do that very good either, right? But that was what they thought. And then Jesus gives this huge story. It's called the Good Samaritan. You need to go back and read it. Right? This huge story about this, I mean, deplorable Samaritan, right? Who in their culture was despised. But that it was, the, it was the, this deplorable, horrible Samaritan who actually showed God's love to a Jewish person, took care of him on the road, picked him up when he was sick, took him, you know, fed him. I mean, there's a whole amazing story. And then Jesus, like, like who is the neighbor? And all the, all the Jewish people are groaning like, ah. What a horrible story, you know? But he was very clear. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor are people who don't behave like you and think like you and act like you. That's it. That's who your neighbor is. 
They do not think like you. They don't act like you. They don't, they don't believe like you believe. That's who your neighbor is. When Jesus said he wants you to love your neighbors, that's exactly who he's talking about. Not other Christians. We already know we're supposed to love other Christians. Get a, you, you do that good? Great. Have a cookie. Awesome. Right? Loving your neighbors is where you need God's love. That's where you need God's, that's where you need God's love because you and I simply can't do it. We are incapable. Again, our love is just a cheap knockoff of that. So for, you know, for, for our, our grandparents' age, you know, they, you know, they had the hippies and the make love, not war, and, you know, segregated schools and the brokenness of humanity in their time. Well, that was just like their Samaritans, like the Jewish Samaritans. Make sense? Like, it wasn't any easier or any harder. You know, they had the, they had the, the make love, not war hippies, and we have the LGBTQ agenda and social media, and we see the, 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 the ugliness of humanity just differently than they had to see it. But it doesn't change how we're called to love people. Everybody with me? Now, I've had this conversation where people are like, yeah, but Matt, like, you don't understand my gay neighbor, my friend, my gay friend, he said that in order to love him, I have to accept him and affirm him, and I have to, you know, that this is his new gender now, and this is how God made him, and so forth and so on. And I'll, I'll just be honest, like, that's, that is just not true. Okay, for two reasons. Number one, again, that is a cheap knockoff version of love that's not God's love. God, God, Jesus modeled God's love for us and told us exactly what it was. So that's not the right way of using that word, to love them, right? But the second reason is Jesus never accepted and affirmed people in their sin, ever. He never accepted and affirmed people in their sin at all. He didn't go to Zacchaeus' house and just be like, Zacchaeus, oh, you don't have to stop being a tax collector. You can keep stealing from other Jews. It's fine. It's fine. He didn't get to the woman caught in adultery and be like, hey, I ran everybody off. It's okay. It's just us now. I know you love him. I know you do. It's okay. You do you, boo. You just go. <laughs> right? He didn't say to the woman at the well, you know, I know you've been trying to fill this void in your life. It's okay. Just keep doing whatever makes you happy. He, he didn't say that. He, he told Zacchaeus, you're going to pay him back. I think he paid him back four times what he ever stole. He told the woman at the, uh, caught in adultery, he didn't condemn her like they wanted to condemn her because that was the statement he made. He's like, but, but, uh, but, uh, but I want you to go and sin no more. Told the woman at the well, you know, you have had five husbands. You're not married to the guy you're with. You keep trying to fill the void in your life that you cannot fill, but I am going to bring you water that will ne you'll never thirst again. Does that make sense? Jesus never affirmed and accepted people in their sin. He is not, he was not an ally to anyone. He is the alternative to a fallen and broken world, right? That's who Jesus is. That's who we are called to be. And that's, but it requires us to love people with God's love. So in Matthew, you know, he's talking about judgment and how all this works when people are going to be judged. And he says, well, you know, this is how it looks when you love the way God's love. You feed the people that are hungry and you give water to those who are thirsty. And they were a stranger, but you invited them into your home. They were naked, but you gave them clothing. 
And they were sick, but you cared for them. They were in prison and you visited them. And when you did that for them, you were doing it like you were doing it to me, Jesus said. He forgave an insurmountable debt. He gave examples after examples of, you know, there's a king who forgave a guy $5 million debt. And that same guy couldn't forgive his buddy of a $50 debt. He, he, he restored and forgave the prodigal son who spit in the face of his father and walked away with everything and yet still accepted him when he came home. He said, turn the other cheek. He said, forgive not three times, but 70 times. Seven, if someone asks for their jacket, give them your shirt too. Care for the orphan and the widow. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's God's love. And guys, it's impossible for us to do that on our own. That's it. It's impossible. So sometimes people ask me, and I've shared this before, I know I use the, uh, uh, you know, the, the example of the homosexuality and things in our culture. You know, people have said, so what you're, what you're saying is I can't affirm or accept them. Well, then, you know, but I still have to love them. And I'm like, yep. Well, that's just, I mean, that's just hard. Because that's not what they want, and that's the, and then we have to argue, and then you know, and 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 I have to live in this muddy middle that that is all this tension, you know, because I won't affirm it, but I still want to love them, you know. I want to I want to be their friend. I want to encourage them in relationship, and you know, I'm just like, yeah, that's that's right. But Matt, that's hard. I know, I know, because you still have to bless them when they curse you. And you start to pray with them when they pray for them when they mistreat you. Like that's what you're still called to do. Like you put a little, it's, it, just think about that in contrast to you put a little rainbow picture up. Oh, good for you. You know? I pull a black square up. Well, good for you. You want a cookie? Like that takes nothing. I'm telling you, our version of love is nothing, it's a cheap knockoff of what God's love looks like. And what he's called us to is to show God's love. And that is the harder choice every time. So, bottom line, the reason we start walking and we end up panting and running and exhausted is because for some reason, every single one of us at some point tries to live the Christian life without being fully dependent on Christ. We're trying to be good Christians and to do Christian things, but we don't want to follow him wholeheartedly, committed, devoted to the hard stuff, which is loving those who don't agree with me, who don't believe like I believe, who don't think like I think. I can barely love other Christians. That's my capacity. But that's what we're called to do. So here Jesus puts it simply, but it's not simple as in simple to execute. It's simple from the standpoint of once you choose him, once you fully surrender to him, he's the one who's going to do it with you and through you. We just did a whole spirit on the Holy Spirit and how Jesus uses the Holy Spirit as that activating power in our life. But we have to at least get to the point that we understand what it is that we need to be reminded of. 
Why is it that I'm not sleeping at night? Why is it that I'm wrestling with this? Why am I wrestling with these questions? Why am I struggling to sort of control and navigate this, this horrible, terrible Christian journey that brings me anxiety? I'm like, because it's you. Because you're not leaning into him. You're just relying on you. And, and, and the promise for us, the promise for us is that when we follow him, we start to experience the things he wants us to experience. That, you know, everything opposite that treadmill illustration. Here's how he says it in Matthew. Again, this is to the disciples and to the, and to the uh, follow, people who were following him after he was teaching some of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, I want you to come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Guys, they were weary and burdened from 613 laws they couldn't keep. And another plus hundreds and thousands more of statements and sayings that they couldn't follow. And they were doing their very best and their best was going to fall short. And he says, look, I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke. That was the term for teaching, in terms of rabbi's teaching, taking a rabbi's yoke. He says, I want you to take my yoke, my commandments, my call to you, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I, I tell people sometimes when I'm talking to them, and, we're, and, and, and this comes up sometimes when people are struggling with their faith and struggling with their walk and, you know, things just aren't going well. And sometimes, I, I don't say it all the time. Again, I'm not, I'm not heartless. I trust and pray the Spirit leads me there. But I sometimes just say, well, then you're not doing it right. Like the reality, Galatians 5 says we're, we're set free by Christ to be free. And if we're not more free in Christ than we were before Christ, then we are chained up again in slavery to the law. Does that make sense? Like, that's the verse. We are enslaved again to something else. And maybe that's being a good Christian. Maybe what, I, I'll give you this. I'm going to read the message paraphrase, because I love Eugene Peterson's uh, para paraphrase of this verse, of these verses, because of the words he uses. Okay? Just, just, just watch this paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out, and burned out on religion? That's one of my favorite phrases. Are you burned out on religion? Yep. Sure am. I've met plenty of those people. He says, I want you to come with me and get away with me and you will recover your life. Jesus has a life for you. You can recover that life. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, follow me, work with me and watch how I do it. Who does it? He does it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep going. I won't lay any he anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Who doesn't want to live freely and lightly, right? So the question I want you kind of wrestling with today as we leave is what are you carrying on you that doesn't fit? Like you're walking this Christian life, but it's ill-fitting. There's something you're carrying that's not supposed to be there. 
There's something you're trying to do as a good Christian, and you're having to muscle your way through it. You're having to, you know, it's grit and human effort and strength, and you just can't seem to get it. That is forced. You need to give that back to God. The unforced rhythms of grace and that ill, nothing ill-fitting. Why? Why do I say that? Because that list that I gave you, by the way, that big list that I gave you when you weren't what, reading because you were watching Nate, it's okay. The big list that I gave you, none of those things are bad. Those are all things that we do as we grow in our faith and as we learn more about God and as we study the Word of God and we can learn about hermeneutics and exegesis and those are all great things as we learn and educate ourselves. But the reality is, is that they're supposed to come in time while you walk and follow Jesus. They're not supposed to be forced on you. They're not supposed to be ill-fitting on you. That's something that's going to come in time with your devotion and commitment to him. Because it's going to help you in how you love others. And as we've been called to do, all the verses about one another, to love one another and encourage one another and to motivate one another to good works and to, to, to lift one another up and to do the things that we're called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't do any of those things without first following him and loving our neighbors as ourselves. It starts there. That's the ask. So just start, just praying through it today. What is it that I'm doing? What is it that I'm doing that fits here? And what do I need to do to be reminded about how it starts here? And that's this whole series. This whole series is going to be just more and more about what that looks like. How do we constantly move forward in the freedom of what it looks like to just follow Jesus? And to, to 24-7 put our dependence and our trust and our surrender to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do just bring it to you today for those that are here in the room and those online that we want to lay down whatever is ill-fitting on us right now. We're carrying things we weren't meant to carry and we're, we're carrying the burden of either being or doing good Christian things that you didn't want us to carry. It's not that your rules don't matter. It's not that the expectations don't matter. It's that it was supposed to start with you. It was supposed to start with our relationship and flow out of our relationship with you. So God, may we just confess that today. May we lay them down today at your feet. May we take a, a deep breath of rest in you today and in your word as we're reminded of how much better your love is for the people in my life than the cheap knockoff that they accept. How much better your love is to those that I don't even have the capacity to love that starts with a devotion and commitment to you. Help us leave this place today changed and motivated to continue to lean in and just follow you every step of our journey. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.